you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone. Your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Musical, 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 musical. We are singing a musical about magic, 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 magic. You're listening to the command zone. <laughs> Thanks for listening. That's our episode, everybody. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the spoiler. Oh, spoiler. Spoiler alert. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Uh, you're listening to The Command Zone. My name is Jimmy Wong. Oh, how's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. And today we have a very fun episode. It's the second time we've ever gotten to do something like this. And this one is even bigger than last time. In, literally, in every sense of the word. <laughs> in every sense of the word. Yeah, last time we got to spoil a card from the Commander 2014 product. Mm-hmm. This time we're getting to spoil a card from the last... Magic the Gathering corset ever, 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 ever. Well, maybe we should say ever. You never know. Um, but yeah, today we have a spoiler for our very second spoiler ever. It is a mythic from Magic Origins. A mythic. It's really sweet. We've arrived, Jimmy. We, we've done it. <laughs> we did it. We've gone to the gates of Valhalla, and we've made it all the way. Um, yeah, so that is our episode today. We're going to be covering Magic Origins. Not every uh, one of the spoilers. We're going to have an episode specifically for Magic Origins later. But today we're going to talk about the dual-phase Planeswalkers because they can all be your commander. And we're also going to spoil a brand new card. A brand new card! It's going to be really sweet. And uh, if you guys keep listening to the episode, you're going to hear about it. Yeah, we're going to go through the Planeswalkers first. And then we will do our cool spoiler. So sit tight. Mm -hmm. Strap in. Don't skip ahead. uh, Put your seat to the full and upright locked position. (laughs) And... Here we go. Lift off. So if you haven't heard, Magic Origins has uh, one Planeswalker for each color, but the Planeswalker is unique. For the first time ever, we've got dual-faced Planeswalkers. So what? the way that this works is if you played in Innistrad, you'll be familiar with it. If you did not, what happens is it's a dual-faced card, so there's actually printing on both sides of the card. So it's you play it on one side, which will be the legendary creature side, for each planeswalker and then if you meet certain criteria then the card flips over and on the flip side it's a planeswalker yeah and what this means is that because uh, so in commander 2014 they had planeswalkers that were also monocolor like they are in uh, magic origins but they said on the planeswalker card this card can be your commander now no other planeswalker meets that criteria until we've gotten these new legendary creatures because they start as a legendary creature and they turn into a planeswalker Right. On the first side, they're just legendary creatures. They're not planeswalkers yet. And then when they flip, they are. Yeah. So you can therefore play them as your commander. Very exciting. Now there's... um, The Vorthos is great. Yeah. It's full of flavor. It's going to be really interesting because we haven't had cards like this available to us as commanders. So Mm -hmm. building decks around something like this, you've got to think about a lot of things. You know, not just what the card does on both sides, 
Also, what it requires to flip. Yeah. So and all of a sudden, your deck has that. to do all this stuff just to flip it and then to abuse the mechanics on both sides of each card. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I'll say this outright. Not all of these cards are perfect commanders by any means. Um, maybe only two of them are super legit, but they're still amazing cards, and they're very great utility creatures as well that you can put into any of your decks. That I think I think that's where we're going to see the most use out of all of these. But, I mean, other than that, like, it, it's really cool that Wizards is doing something like this because it really helps with the story with all the, like, people that really care about the story. The, you learn about the history of the Planeswalkers and everyone that cares about Standard. These things are going to see tons of play, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they're very, I think nobody knows right now. I mean, they could see modern play, like, because mm -hmm. there's, there's just really no precedent for what these are doing exactly. So it's pretty hard to tell right now. Um, especially for things like standard and modern, exactly yeah. how powerful they're going to be because it's really dependent on how often you're going to be able to flip them and how soon and how easily and all this stuff that you don't normally have to calculate about a card. Um, same thing goes for our format. Yep. Uh, so you want to just dive in? Yeah, let's dive right on in. Uh, we're going to start. And by the way, uh, currently there are, as of the time of this recording, there have been two stories released on the Wizards Mothership homepage about the Planeswalkers for Jace and uh, Liliana. So we're going to talk a little bit about the story. Yeah, we're going to get at. into the Vorthosy aspect, some flavor stuff, stuff we don't always do, but we thought it'd be kind of fun to tell the story because Magic Origins is really like the origins of where the Planeswalkers came from. Mm -hmm. So it's their story about how they became a Planeswalker. Oh, um, by the way, should we say that we shot called this? That we thought... That there were going to be dual place planeswalkers. You specifically <laughs> shot called it. We were on BJ Shea's Geek Nation months ago. Um, you can check it. It's well recorded. I mean, it's there. It's there. It's on the internet. It's yeah. And Jimmy literally said he thought that it would be dual face planeswalkers. Uh, almost exactly what we've got. So yeah, pretty exciting. Yeah. So let's start things off with Jace Vryn's Prodigy. Uh, we're going to read um, the card text first, and then we'll talk about the story, I guess. I think we should tell the story first. Okay, we'll tell the story. So we'll then, then we can tie the flavor into when we're reading the mechanics of the card. Good call. Good call. All right, okay, we'll so Jace is a poor movie. kid in a poor neighborhood. He's just a poor boy with a poor family. He is Jace's friend's prodigy. He lives in a poverty-stricken world. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's pretty, we like to sing. Uh, what, do you, what, what do you want? Uh, man, I wish we had like little sound effects to go along with this. So I just have to do. Uh, I wish I we had a to... whole choir and an yeah, orchestra. Yeah, I want a soundboard for all the things that happens in Jace's story. <laughs> um, so Jace is a poor kid, lives in a poverty-stricken neighborhood uh, among what they call mana miners. Clink, so, clink. <laughs> so he lives on a planet where they mine mana, like we would mine coal, I guess. And they feed it into a kind of a big tube that sends it flowing to what they call the capital. So this is it's kind of like an oil pipeline, I oh, think, yeah. is an a good allegory. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, there's a war on his world that's sort of going on uh, over... They're fighting over the power of the mana, obviously. Uh, it doesn't affect Jace much because his family is too poor to, to be involved in all that. Oh, poor, poor Jace. Yeah. So, um, but Jace can also read minds. Whoa. We find that out fairly early. Uh, he can just hear people's thoughts. In fact, he says things like he, he kind of gets lost and forgets which feelings are his oh, sometimes. Yeah. He's a uh, mutant. He is. He he's <laughs> kind of is. Um, he's like, yeah, exactly. He's Professor X. Uh, he's kept it a secret because he doesn't want anyone to know. But then one day, he's being bullied by some kids from his school um, because he's kind of a freak because he... 
you know, he's tried to keep it a secret that he can uh, read minds. Read minds, but it makes him stand out. It makes him a little bit weird. Yeah, like a little recluse kind of thing. Yeah. So they, he's getting bullied on the top of this tall building, and the kids are bullying so him so hard that he slips and he falls and he almost falls into the tube pipeline thing for all the mana. Oh man! And I thought. Oh, we're gonna have one of those like fall into a vat of tops- toxic chemicals, <laughs> becomes and super... boom! I'm a planeswalker. Yeah, like, you, I was like, you have awoken. Yeah, I was like, I know how this goes, uh, but that's not exactly what happened. He actually uses his mind powers to control, like Hodar style, mm-hmm. Hodor, um, Hodor, to take control of one of the bullies and then fight the other one off. And then all the bullies get freaked out and they run away. And the word gets out: Jace is a freak show, and people are scared and. A, and the government finds out, and they send a sphinx, an arbiter. Oh, government sphinx, eh? Yeah, so the sphinx, sphinx shows up, and he, we think, uh-oh, Jace is in trouble, but it turns out the sphinx is like, hey, you're a potential candidate to be a mind mage. Ooh. Why don't you come with me, and I'll train you? It's kind of like Luke Skywalker status. Kind of, yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, Jace thinks about it for like 0.4 seconds and goes, <laughs> yeah, I'm out of here, man. I'm a mind mage. You're a wizard, Harry. He's like, oh, yep, count me in. <laughs> yeah. Now, here's the point where his name is Jace Vryn's Prodigy. That's the name of the card. Yeah. So I thought, oh, that Sphinx, he must be named Vryn. Wrong. No. <laughs> wrong. Totally wrong, Jimmy. Don't think that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who is Vryn then? Vryn, it turns out, is the planet that he's on. Oh, he's the prodigy or of his maybe planet. The, yeah, or maybe the the country or something. Josh, anyway. Earth's prodigy. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> he. That's exactly the equivalent. And the the Sphinx's name is like Allahamarikrumumunasumunamum or something like that. There's a couple of cards I think that have been spoiled that are named after this Sphinx. Yeah, it's and I clearly... think he's also a legendary creature. We'll talk about him in our other show. But uh, so anyway, we go through the training montage. You're the best around. So he learns the crane technique and all this cool stuff, and then he wax finds on, out. Wax off, baby. He finds out that the Sphinx. That guy has been betraying him. He's been using Aww. him. He's been like wiping his memory at night and making him go and do stuff, and he doesn't even remember Ooh. and all this stuff because they're mind mages, right? Right, right, right. So Jace has had enough of that. And he starts to do like the memento thing where he's like, well, he's not tattooing his own skin, but yeah. he's like leaving himself notes so that he can like figure out like what it is that's been happening to him. And so he reads his notes and he finds out he's being betrayed and he just eventually confronts the Sphinx and they have this like mind battle showdown. Sweet. Yeah. So, so like, if you filmed it, they would just be looking at each other really intensely for a while. Yeah. It probably wouldn't be very cinematic. <laughs> Although the Sphinx would be a cool CG creature that would probably yeah, look cool. Yeah, that's true. So like having this mind battle and, and Jace is not as powerful as his master. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he's not, you know, he's not fully trained yet. He's still just a Padawan. And they're fighting in the mines, and Jace decides that he can defeat the Sphinx, but he has to give up his defense to do it. Like, he's trying to do offensive defense at the same time, and he's like, I'm willing to risk it. And he lets his defenses down and sacrifices a piece of his own mind to defeat the Sphinx. And he defeats the Sphinx, this is really cool, by making the Sphinx forget how to breathe. Whoa, that's pretty dark. So the Sphinx suffocates. So Jace uses the dark side of the force. Yes, he's he's not a Padawan anymore. He's a Sith Lord. Yeah. (laughs) And the Sphinx presumably dies uh, because he can't breathe and he doesn't remember how. But Jace is left with no memory because that's the part of his brain that he had to leave open to the Sphinx. So he he got his memory totally wiped. Mm -hmm. And then in the battle and all the excitement, his spark ignited and he accidentally planeswalks. So he, he flashes out of Vryn and he wakes up. And he has no memory, and he's in Ravnica. 
just a completely different planet that he's never been to, never heard of. Doesn't have any memory. Yep. And then dun dun dun. That's the end of the story. Nice. So Jace is uh, he kind of has the hero's journey. He mm-hmm. uh, he starts off uh, not having much, and he gets everything, and then has to uh, the mentor always has to die in the hero's journey. Yep. So, uh, but in this case, because otherwise you're not forced out of the nest. You know? Yeah, yeah. In this case, he's literally forced out of the nest. He's thrown onto Ravnica. Uh, and it's interesting. He forgets everything. He loses all his memories. Yep, but he can still hear people's thoughts. Oh. I think the last thing at the end of the story is like he remembers one thing. Oh, okay. So it's like, like, I am Jace. Yeah, I think that is. He remembers his name or something like that. And so like there's, you understand that like eventually he's going to be able to recover that stuff in in the vault of his own brain. So That's pretty intense. He's like, I'm Jace, comma, the mind sculptor? No. Telepath Unbound? No. No. Bellerin? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, let's read the cards and we can see how that lines up with the story. All right, so Jace Vryn's Prodigy, the uh, younger version of himself, is one in the blue and he's a 0-2 legendary creature human wizard, so he's not going to be doing much hitting anytime soon because he's a mind mage. He doesn't have any power. Uh, you tap him, draw a card, then discard a card, so a loot. If there are five or more cards in your graveyard, exile Jace of Rin's Prodigy, then return him to the battlefield transformed under his owner's control. So when they say transformed, it means just you flip him over. He flickers himself, and he comes back as his second side, which is... Jace, Telepath Unbound. Uh, He's a planeswalker, Jace. He's got five loyalty. His plus one is up to one target creature, gets negative two, negative zero until end of turn. His negative three is... You may cast, target, instant, or sorcery card from your graveyard this turn. If that card would be put into your graveyard this turn, exile it instead. So he snapcaster mages something. Pretty cool. And then his negative zero. Negative nine, you mean? Uh, yep, sorry. I read that off the notes wrong. Hmm. Uh, his negative... I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, his negative nine is you get an emblem. Whenever you cast a spell, target opponent puts the top five cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard. So anytime you cast a spell for the rest of the game, you mill somebody for five. Pretty good. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, pretty good. He comes in at five loyalty. I don't think he's going to find that minus nine anytime soon. Yeah, because you're immediately going to Snapcaster Mage something, flashback something from your uh, yeah. from your graveyard I and cast it. I think very rarely you might plus one it if you know your opponent doesn't have the ability to kill Jace. Um, but you've and, got, yeah, if you're in multiplayer, though. Oh, yeah, you're minus three immediately. I mean, you might if you just want to tick up towards that ultimate. In general, I found that Planeswalkers, you don't really even want to go to the ultimate uh, towards it because people start getting really freaked out. Yeah, exactly. And it just causes the whole table to start targeting you. So, but anyway, the the Snapcaster Mage portion is pretty good. Yeah, that's actually really really good. I wish it was negative two. It'd probably be too powerful for the other formats. But right now, you can only do it once because he starts with five loyalty good and you negative three. He goes down to two. Mm-hmm. So then you need two more turns before you can do it again because you have to plus one and then negative three, which would right. also kill him. I mean, arguably, you just do it. If you could plus one and minus three again, if you had to in your dire straits, you would just do it then and just kill Jace. Yeah, yeah. I, I um, think so too. Um, so he's not super powerful even when flipped. Uh, we didn't talk He does to- come in at five loyalty, which is more than the rest of the planeswalkers in the mm-hmm. set. So that is slightly notable. Um, and I think his effect is very relevant. The Snapcaster thing? No, the Vryn's Prodigy, the ability to just. That's loot. the thing I would say is yeah, the, the non planeswalker side of him, just a looter. Is pretty good, especially in EDH. It's very powerful. Yeah, turn two looter. If you're guaranteed a turn two looter every single time, it's like, oh, that's great. Pretty great. I mean, you can keep a lot of different hands you might normally keep, not normally keep. Yeah. Um, and, and, well, if he's your commander, 
then it's hard to run a total reanimation strategy because you're in mono blue. Right. Now, if he's not, if he's in, say, like a Mimeoplasm deck mm -hmm. or, you know, a lot of decks with blue, maybe black and maybe like green or some or another color that deals with the graveyard then all of a sudden this guy is really good yeah that's inside your 99 even just sticking like anger in your graveyard is always valuable yeah or know? just like things we talked about um last episode with the top black cards like if you have a reanimate in your hand and you have jason in your hand then oh, all yeah. of a sudden you turn two on turn three you dump something in there and then reanimate it immediately yeah exactly. and you can like cheat really big stuff out um looting is is generally super powerful because if your graveyard is an extension of your hand, then it's just draw a card. Yeah. So um, I like him in the 99 of a lot of decks. I don't know if I like him as your commander. Yeah, I see I see him as just a looter with a lot of upside. Yeah. Which is having, for instance, not everyone can afford an $80 Snapcaster Mage right now. Yeah, and, exactly. And good Jace point. is going to be a very good alternative to that. That also doesn't just... I mean, the flash part of Snapcaster is obviously very good. But at the same time, Jace is pretty good for what he does. And and Snapcaster can't be played as your commander. Yeah. So you play him, you, you flashback something, and then he's done. I mean, you can recur him and stuff, obviously. But this guarantees you the ability to get to that effect. Mm -hmm. And Jace is actually like one of those ones where once you're at the threshold where you have five things in your graveyard... He just immediately does it. He's going to flip every time you tap him. Yeah, that's interesting, actually, because I wonder if sometimes you don't want them to do that. You might be in a situation where, like, geez, I wish I had less than five things in there because I just want the looter. Mm -hmm. um, I'm definitely going to put this into my uh, Tassiger deck, though. Yeah, I think it's really good in decks like that. If your deck is dealing with the graveyard, Sadisi is probably another deck yeah. that's really good in. Um, yeah, he's got some use. Is he really powerful? No, I don't think so. Is he, like, game-changing, game-ender type of card? No, Definitely not. but those can be really good because he's a lot of value in mm -hmm. different ways and he's not scary. So you're going to play this guy and people are going to be like, okay. Yeah. And I think the plus one is occasionally going to be relevant in EDH too, when it's like, uh, he's going to hit me for lethal next turn because he is able to, you know, he uh, like lethal commander damage. So you can nerf someone else's commander for four turns, you know? Mm -hmm. So that it works really well against maybe like Rafik because that's basically like taking four power away from him. Maybe yeah, yeah you yeah, know yeah. it could help you win a race. Um, I think it's going to be situationally once in a while useful, but most of the time you're just going to negative three M and, and flashback yeah. something out of your graveyard. So here's the thing: he's really good in your opening hand because at that point he's not necessarily going to be turning into telepath on down every single turn. He may have a few turns of just looting with them. Late game he's good because you're going to have the extra man to use him and then immediately use his minus three when he triggers it. And he's going to be really powerful with uh, haste because haste will just later in right. the game turn him into a planeswalker for that cost two. Right. So, And the cool thing about this too is that he is, I believe, one of the few uh, planeswalkers in this group that is able to protect himself in his legendary creature form because if someone targets him and you have five cards in your graveyard you can just immediately use his tap ability to draw a card discard a card and then any spell that targets him disappears because he exiles himself oh that's really interesting yeah because you don't have to tap him right away even if he has haste yeah. you can wait until your end step and you yeah that's really that's really cool actually i hadn't thought of that the only downside is that you can't use jace's uh, planeswalker side immediately because you can't trigger his ability at instant speed right if he flashes in on somebody else's turn but yeah but you know minimal downside the fact that he can protect himself i think is really nice um and yeah he's just got value written all over him he's always gonna he's never gonna be a dead card i'll just say that his ability is always relevant in edh uh, sometimes it's really relevant um so i like him a lot 
Also, I like the art too, because on the first one, he's on Vren, and then the second one, he's definitely in Ravnica. Yeah, and he looks awesome in the second one. He looks yeah. like um, Gavin Fairhay. You know, interesting thing I didn't mention in the story. Mm-hmm. Jace's father in the story is, is named Gavin Gav. Oh. <laughs> G-A-V. But I, I mean, was... come on. We know Gavin's always running around the globe like dressed as Jace. I, that cannot be a coincidence. Can't be. Yeah. So Nice one, Gavin. You did nice it. Nice one, Gavin. You're Jace's <laughs> father. Good work. All, All right. right. Uh, we want to move on to the next guy. Yeah. This guy is my top pick for most played in standard, potentially even modern, if there's a mono white weenies deck. Um, it's Kithian, Hero of Akros. Um this is also the only Planeswalker that changes his name when he goes into his uh yeah pretty cool his, his full name yeah so he's a one drop one white for a two one legendary creature human soldier at end of combat if Kithian hero of Akros and at least two other creatures attack this combat exile Kithian then return him to the battlefield transformed under his owner's control and for two and a white he has a um, activated ability you can give him indestructible until end of turn so that is also very relevant um. And when he flips over, he becomes Gideon Battleforged. We haven't seen a Gideon in a while. This is yeah, exciting. so he starts as Kithian, and he becomes Gideon. So he upgrades not only himself, but his name as well. <laughs> uh, he's a Planeswalker, obviously. He's got three loyalty when he comes in. Uh, his plus two is up to one target creature and opponent controls attacks Gideon Battleforged during its controller's next turn if able. So you can force somebody to attack Gideon. Mm -hmm. Or just do it for plus two. You don't necessarily have to choose a creature. You're right. It's up to one creature. So you can just go, I plus him and I don't choose a creature. Yeah. Uh, His plus one is until next turn, target creature gains indestructible, untap that creature. So it's until your, sorry, until your next turn. Mm -hmm. So for one rotation of the table, you make an indestructible threat. And if you already attacked with it, you get to untap it. See the vigilance. Yep. And then his zero and I'm right this time, it is actually zero. (laughs) Until end of turn, Gideon becomes a 4-4 human soldier creature with indestructible that's still a planeswalker. Prevent all damage that would be dealt to him this turn. So this is a normal Gideon ability uh, where he just becomes a beater himself. Right. And if he's your commander, that's going to be commander damage. He'll be a 4-4. Oh, right. Um, Good point. Yeah, and just being indestructible is generally good, although it's not for the whole rotation of the table like Mm -hmm. his plus one is. Uh, You'll notice that he doesn't have any minus abilities. So he's just either gaining loyalty or staying at parity. That's because he's dedicated to going to the gym, clearly. He is. Yeah, he's, he's a buff always, dude. Yeah, he's always getting pluses at the gym, you know. Uh, I think you're right in, in the other uh, constructed formats because a one-man at 2-1 is borderline playable anyway. Yeah. And then the fact that he can give himself Savannah indestructible lines, right? yeah, um, is really powerful. And then it has sort of that, you know, in, uh, in Return to Ravnica, there was the battalion mechanic that was mm-hmm. like if three or more creatures attack then you get some stuff he sort of has that feel to him i mean you the dream is like turn one kithian turn two raise the alarm turn three attack right and you can make him indestructible so worst case scenario even if you use, lose the two raise the alarm tokens he still uh, he gets, still flips yeah um and that's a lot of damage turn two you're swinging for two turn three you're swinging for four potentially yeah flipping him Flipping making, him. making one of those raise the alarm tokens that lived indestructible and untapping it so nothing can attack you. That's really good and constructed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and EDH just seems like um, not like way less. Yeah. It's like, oh no, four damage. That's very cute. I mean, here's the thing is like, you don't want to be flipping Kithian in EDH because it's like, you don't want to just necessarily be swinging at people with, you know, for no reason with a, with a 
cheap one drop. The whole point is you want him to get out there fast and to be going. But yeah, it's really interesting. I think the way you play him in EDH is a lot of equipment. Mm-hmm. He's you can make him indestructible, and you never really want to attack with him with three creatures because flipping him doesn't help you that much. Yeah. So it might just be a really good aggro general mm-hmm. because a two one indestructible for one white mana. I mean, he's not indestructible. You have to pay for it, but you can make him indestructible. It's pretty powerful. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. If you could throw like a like a god's end on him. Yeah. And uh, they can't block him, and they just got to take a ton of damage. Like, it could be brutal. Yeah. Also, notably, when you do trigger him for the first time, you're never going to use a zero. Um, right. He, because he just becomes a 4-4, four, four, and then your turn ends. <laughs> and you already attacked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you do get to give someone pseudo-vigilance and indestructible. I think that's actually kind of nice. Um, it, it'd be awesome if Kithian could give other people indestructible in his non-Planeswalker status, but yeah. that would be... Uh, what is it? What's the word? Broken. <laughs> if you had um, your deck built in a way where... You know, you can force somebody to attack Gideon, but that doesn't mean you have to let them hit Gideon. Right. So it's basically forcing a creature to attack. That's actually really powerful, too, because yeah. it's like, hey, your Consecrated Sphinx is coming in next turn. They're like, no, I don't want him to... Ah. And then you just block with a Death Touch or whatever. Yeah, you know? exactly. So you can you can maybe build your deck in a way that forcing creatures to attack uh, is to your advantage. Yeah. Um, that's pretty fringe, but it could happen. I mean, I don't know. What do you think of him as a, as a, as a commander? As a commander, absolutely not. It takes a really hot. specific super <laughs> aggro deck, and I think that yeah. that's just not the type of deck that in multiplayer works very well. But 1v1 commander, you might be very good. Or if yeah. you often play with maybe only two other people. Yeah, the problem is that he is mono white, and those strategies like to have a general like Elish Norn because you're trying to do tokens or yes. go wide. And Kithian is just kind of a, you know, he's good in the 99 in that kind of deck. I could see him being really nice there. He um, might be really good with a bunch of uh, board wipes. Okay. Because yeah. you can make him indestructible. So maybe it's like you just pile equipment and you just have all equipment and board wipes. Yeah. And you just kind of... Just straight Voltron them the entire time. Maybe. The uh, slow 2-1 swinging in for... Uh, I know. And where's like your card damage. draw? You're in mono white. And yeah. like, like, listen, I'm just trying to come up with some way. I, I think in the 99, what do you think about that? I think it's really good because the... I mean, that's why people play Gideon normally is because forcing a creature to attack in a game where people are usually just passing turn without attacking is really powerful. So that's great. It can break up parity board states. Yeah. It can break up somebody who's just pillow forting. Um, also, I, I want to put this in the stop hitting yourself deck for sure. Oh, nice. That's because great. he makes somebody else indestructible when he's a planeswalker. When he's not, he can make himself indestructible. Mm-hmm. That's just what the deck generally is liking to do. Like putting Pariah which makes it so any damage you would take is done to the enchanted creature. So if you enchanted him with Pariah and then gave him indestructible, all of a sudden, like, you can't take damage. It's just going to go to him, and then you're going to make him indestructible. Like, that's a strong thing the deck can do. I yeah, think that's pretty good. Just indestructible creatures are worth something. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I was playing EDH last night, and uh, there were a couple of indestructible creatures out, and I was like, why are they still on the board? Oh, right. Indestructible. Indestructible. <laughs> that's why those gods are so good. You forget that board wipes are so common in the game that indestructible is just the one thing that lasts in the face of that. I laugh in your general direction. <laughs> your EDH general direction. <laughs> Boom, psh. All right, you want to move on to the yeah. next one? Chandra, Fire of Kaladesh. Now, this card's interesting because everyone thought they spoiled this earlier, uh, yep. but it was just the art and then a very similar text. So I think someone saw the text box, but it was super blurred out and tried to figure it out and type it in or something. That's they were close. They were really close, yeah. yeah. They'd clearly seen the card. Yeah. Um, I'm not a big fan of Chandra's art before she becomes a Planeswalker, though, because I don't understand what's going on still. I think she's like being cornered by some yeah. boats. Yeah, she's definitely being cornered. It looks like maybe like a whole bunch of... Um, 
people are about to jump off those boats. I, they haven't uh, at this point spoiled her origin story, so I can't tell. Maybe us. this is when she her uh, spark ignites. You never know. I think she's probably like a poor girl in a poor town from a poor neighborhood. Just she's a small just town a girl. Poor, poor girl with a poor family. <laughs> I was going to go straight journey there, but yeah, that works too. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> She's just a poor town girl. Oh, I don't know. She's just a Kaladesh girl. Surrounded by a bunch of boats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's and all this water. Come on, Chandra's a roaring flame. Anyway, so f- and Chandra then she taps and taps and taps and taps <laughs> and occasionally untaps. <laughs> so Chandra, fire of Kaladesh is one red red for a two two legendary creature human shaman. Whenever you cast a red spell, untap Chandra, fire of Kaladesh, and her tap ability. You're gonna like this, Josh. Chandra, Fire of Kaladesh, taps and deals one damage to target player. If Chandra has dealt three or more damage this turn, exile her, then return to the battlefield transformed under her owner's control. Oh, man, if only it said or creature. Uh, that's the part that gets me. It only hits players. Why? You know, for that commander damage, clearly. Uh, so if you've done three damage with her, she'll flip over. Now, notably, the damage doesn't have to be with her tap ability. So mm-hmm. she is a 2-2. So you can attack and do two damage if Chandra has dealt three or more damage this turn. Doesn't matter if it's to creatures or players. It just what you could do is if you gave her vigilance somehow, you could attack for two and then tap her. And then tap her, or just and attack the- and then play a red spell and then ping. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or just play two red spells. So tap her, play a red spell, untap her, tap her, play a red spell, untap her again. Right. Tap her. Um, wow. Hard to flip. Anyway, she turns into Chandra Roaring Flame. <sighs> That sounds like Thousand Winds almost. Oh, now I see the difference. Er, I hear the difference. <laughs> roaring flame. Burninating the countryside. Shouldn't the flame be like more roaring? Like roaring flame. You know, interesting side note here. The, you know the original, not the original, but the movie Zorro with Antonio Banderas. Oh, I love that movie. Catherine Zeta-Jones, that was our like common introduction to her. Thank, uh-huh. thank goodness that happened. Yeah. Um, uh, if you listen to the explosions in that movie, you can actually hear, they put like a tiger noise oh, really? in there. So there'll be like a big explosion. And you'll hear like, <laughs> it's hilarious. That's um, really funny. Well, sound design is great. Yeah. And if it works, it works, I guess. I guess so. Um, okay. Chandra, Roaring Flame is a four loyalty planeswalker. Her plus one is Chandra deals two damage to target player. Wait, well, that just, sounds familiar. Just player. You just tap her. Don't even flip her then. Um, her, <laughs> her negative two is Chandra deals two damage to target creature. Oh, okay. Her negative seven, Chandra deals six damage to each opponent. Each player dealt damage this way gets an emblem with, at the beginning of your upkeep, this emblem deals three damage to you. Oh, so you give them a really bad emblem that they don't want, but they can't get rid of. Is this yeah. the first uh, Planeswalker that gives your opponents an emblem? No, I believe Garrick does as well. When a creature attacks you, it gets like plus three, plus three and trample. Oh, the newest you're Garrick, Because right. he's right. like, I'm going to curse you, boy. Yeah, you're right. I'm going to curse you, boy. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if those are the exact numbers of what it gives, but yeah, I think he's another Planeswalker that does it. Um, this is not an impressive Chandra. Uh, no. For as hard as she is to flip. Yeah, you're right. That's... I mean, this is not easy to do. You... It'd be one thing if you had to tap her twice, so you just had to play a red spell. Mm-hmm. But no, you've got to tap her three times somehow. It's just, I mean, listen, I'm putting her in my Tim deck because it's really easy to untap her there because I have a bunch of things. Like, right. you tap her, Fate Stitcher, tap her, 
keywords follower tapper again even that's like a little bit magical christmas land because you, well also you want to use those cards to untap other things like tim so that you yeah. can kill a creature and not just hit a player in the face yeah and then once you do all that and you flip her then what does she do she does either two damage to a player or two damage to a creature. Well, the big thing is that you're minusing her to do damage to a creature. Two, whereas... da- two damage. Yeah, exactly. She's... Like, Chandra has this problem where all of her other planeswalk. She's got a lot of planeswalker versions. I think she's up to five now, including this one. And they are all good to not good. There's never any that are like super excellent. You yeah, know? there's no great version of Chandra. What's the best one? Pyromaster? Pyromaster, I think, is the best. Because it could draw you cards. It does yeah. the outpost siege thing. It has a zero to exile the top card of library. You can play it this turn. And also her plus one uh, makes a creature not able to block. And you do a, you do one damage to a player and a creature. Yeah. So that's Chandra great. Blaze is pretty good. Um, yeah. She does like a mini Wheel of Fortune. Anyway, we're getting off topic. She's just really underwhelming for how hard it is to flip her. Also, she costs three. You can't really flip her until turn four because it requires tapping right. her three times or at least attacking with her. She is also the first of the planes where we talk about that have that has two of her color symbols in her. Yeah, it costs two red. And then even when... So you flip her, and now it's turn four if you manage to even flip her on turn four, which would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're doing two damage to something. I mean, four drops cost... They have more than two toughness. Yeah. So then that or you're doing two damage to somebody's face, which like... The, I don't even think they'll care. Yeah. I mean... The, the ultimate's great, but... Ultimates, even the ultimate's just okay. Like, three damage of, like, okay, so you get lightning yeah, bolts in your upkeep every turn. Well, you've taken six damage. Right. So it's nine damage. Also, think about this. In order to ultimate her, she starts with four loyalty. So you have to plus her at least three times. So you've done at least six damage just to a player. <laughs> and then you've do, you do six more, that's 12, and then on their upkeep. So you've done 12 damage to them, like... In standard, how are they not just dead? The ultimate doesn't even matter. Like right. the emblem you give them, unless you're playing against a life gain deck. Yeah, I th- I feel like they could have pushed Chandra a lot more by just ma- either keeping her front the same and making her planeswalker more powerful because it takes a lot to flip her, or just giving her the ability to also ping a creature somewhere in there that doesn't yeah. that isn't a minus ability or isn't minus two. I think if it was minus one deals two damage to her creature. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. I think they could have just made it so you only have to do three da- or two damage with her. To, oh, okay. to flip her so that way either you can attack or you can tap her play a play red a spell, spell yeah. and then tap her again um the anyway prom- yeah i don't know the problem is, is like in a mono red aggro deck which is where you have to play this because oh it, as a general i don't even think it's really playable at all no i mean i'm, I'm just thinking like standard and stuff now yeah. there's just not i don't really see this having a, a huge two effect for, for three mana is just not enough yeah and here's the thing if you have like if it if her ability because when you cast a red spell you untap her that's actually somewhat powerful because you could ping someone and then swing and then, un- you know, there's lots of things you could do there. And there's also a lot of ways to get value if someone targets her and she's tapped. You can like, oh, play a spell and then do some extra damage on the way out. Um, and it's also kind of similar to Jace's Prodigy where you're able to flip her and potentially, you know, save herself. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the conditions are way harder to meet. I don't know. I it's just going to be really hard to do that on somebody else's turn. I mean, yeah. I guess you have instants like Lightning Bolt and If stuff. there were a lot of one mana red spells or a lot of spells like Gut Shot, I think this card would be better. Yeah, but you don't really get to play those very often. So, and then, uh, are we still talking about standard or EDH now? EDH, I don't know. I'm not playing her really. In anything, I don't think. <laughs> I'm not talking about any of those because I don't think it matters. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I just don't think she's very good. Like I said, she'll go in like my Tim deck, which is a very niche deck. Yeah. Um. 
Okay, let's talk about the next one. Yeah, let's move on. All right, next uh, up. This, this, this is my pick, I think, for most powerful in EDH. Oh, really? I kind of like Liliana better, but the, I, I can see what you're coming Those are my here. top two. So. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all right, whoa, we're getting to the, the hot hitters, the heavy hitters then. Uh, we have Nissa Vastwood Seer. So you guys may know Nissa. She also was had an M15 um, uh, Planeswalker, which was a big deal when it first came out. It was expensive for a yeah, while. Very there, expensive, yeah. yeah. And like all magic cards, they go down usually after <laughs> they come out. Uh, before they go back up, of course. Uh, so Nissa Vastwood Sears, two and a green for a two two legendary creature F elf scout. Elf. So that's that's actually useful. Yep, that's right. Every ever everyone else I think is a human. So when Nissa Vastwood Seer enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a basic forest card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. And her secondary text, is, or second half of the text, is whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, if you control seven or more lands, exile Nissa, then return her to the battlefield transformed under her owner's control. So seven lands. She gets you one extra land, but seven. She doesn't cheat it into play, though. Yeah, she so, doesn't put it in the battlefield. Yeah. Um, you're in green, so exploration and all of, all of its ilk, uh, Azusa, Oracle of Maldaya. You got a lot of ways to cheat extra lands. You got Rampant Gross, Kodama's yeah. Reaches, all kinds of stuff. So in a deck dedicated to flipping her, I think you could get there pretty fast. And then once you've got seven in play then every time you play her, she gives you the land that you're going to play to flip her. Yeah. So that that part's good. Mm-hmm. Um, then she turns into a Planeswalker. It's Nissa. Actually, you only need six, right? Because you get the seventh. Yeah, true, play. true. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Nissa Sage Animist. That's the Planeswalker version. She comes in with three loyalty. Um, her plus one is reveal the top card of your library. If it's a land card, put it onto the battlefield. Otherwise, put it onto, into your hand. Pretty good. Uh, pretty awesome. So she coiling Green oracles. Green card draw, yeah. Yeah, there you go. It's coiling oracle, except for, you know, coiling oracle is also a creature. Right. Uh, so it's slightly worse, except for that you can just do it every turn for plus one. So just draw an extra card every turn or ramp. Yeah. Uh, is great. And and also, like, you're putting the land directly into play, so it's still drawing that card because mm-hmm. it was going to be a land anyway. By the um, way, this adds on. If you have something like the uh, exploration out, this bypasses the extra land you play there. As yeah, it well. doesn't count as a land you played for turn. Yeah. Um, this plus the Oracle of Maldaya, I think, is really busted. Uh, yeah, totally. And if you have a couple fetch lands and you can control the top of your library, yeah. yeah. Um, her negative two is put a legendary 4 4 green elemental creature token named Ashaya, the Awoken World, onto the battlefield. So you get a legendary 4 4. You can only make one at a time, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, that's good because if you play or, or flipper, sorry, and you need protection, you can do, choose to do that. Yeah. One of the most important parts about Planeswalkers is whether or not they can give themselves protection. Yeah. The worst thing ever is you play a Planeswalker and somebody goes, okay, attack it. Yeah. <laughs> and they just kill it. Um, and then her negative seven, her ultimate is uh, this thing. Untap up to six target lands. They become six, six elemental creatures. They're still lands. So you make six, six, sixes. Pretty good for minus seven. So it takes you yeah. four turns when she gets out. That's to get thirty-six to that. damage. Doing the math, if you can time that up with the Crater Hoof Behemoth or something awesome. Yeah. So uh, that's very similar to what uh, the Nissa does from M fifteen, mm-hmm. um, and you can still time for mana, which is nice. And and this is one of those ultimates you you could get to because I can see you plussing her a lot because mm-hmm. it's just draw cards. Yeah. So it's, people aren't necessarily worried about her either. She's not like. She's and, not just the mind sculptor. And if she she's she could actually be your commander, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And therefore, like you could just be playing her often enough that it just becomes numbing to try and keep keeping her down. And so they they might eventually just be like, "What? Oh, yeah, you draw a card, okay." Yeah. And then before yeah. you know it, you're like, "Oh yeah, untaps tap six lands, 
turn them into creatures. Play Crater Hoof Behemoth. Yeah. Kill everyone. Well, not to mention she's also a, tr- uh, a commander you can play with uh, doubling season. So she would come in with six, which makes her even closer to that. Yep. It's true. Of all green. of these commanders, she's the only one you can play with doubling season because she's yeah. the only one that's green. Pretty good. Or sorry, if you play him as your commander. Yeah, the only thing that I can see being somewhat problematic is that if she is your commander, you want to play her on turn three, potentially even earlier, and you want to get to seven lands as soon as possible because you want that card advantage engine going. Like, because her as a 2 2 that just fetches you in forest is no better than, you know, any of the random uh, Farhaven elves or whatever. Except it's those true. she did into play, she just puts into your hand. Right, but you you're going to have those cards too. So you're going to have yeah. all a bunch of cards that cheat land into play. Yeah, you're going to really want to prioritize getting lands on this deck. Yeah. Um, um, so I, I think, for me, I think she's the best one as your commander. Um, but the next one, I think, is the second best, so I, I sort of agree with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh? By the way, you'd play this Nissa in your uh, your mono green Titania deck, right? I'm not sure. Well, here's the thing. because She does it, draw cards. I would do it. Yeah, she does draw cards. I'm also I don't trying often to, have seven lands, honestly. I'm destroying my own lands all the that's time. That's true. I'm playing stuff like Lotus Veil and then sacking a bunch of lands. Like, right, right. Uh, yeah, actually, I might not play her because it might be hard to flip her. Yeah, I was just trying to think of like her net minus seven. You can have lands that will die in combat and that will help you out. But I mean, I'm already turning my lands into dudes. Yeah, So yeah, exactly. yeah I don't know if she goes in Titania, but... Huh. All right, well, our final of the five Planeswalkers and uh, my personal favorite... This was uh, the first one spoiled, too, way back. Way back, yeah. And we also have, uh, I think one of the animations in our uh, yep. in, in our videos uh, has Liliana in it. In fact, Eli, play that animation right now. <laughs> wow, that was cool. I like how she wow. like cackles at the end. And she turned into a defiant necromancer, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We should read the card. All right. Uh, no, we should talk about her story, right? Oh, right. I love this story a lot, too, because this this feels like it's right out of a uh, right out of a movie. Yeah, it does. It's, By the it, way, magic movie, uh, Magic Origins, I think it all is tying together for a reason. Yeah, I think they're seeding a lot of this stuff for yeah. the movie. Like, yeah. how are you going to, if you're going to make a movie about magic, you're not going to make it about like orcs and stuff. You're going to make it about the human characters. It's and, definitely they're focusing on the planeswalkers, I yeah. would say. Uh, right. I'd be surprised if Jason and Gideon aren't major characters in the movie. Oh, yeah. And Liliana and, and uh, Garrick as well. Um, yeah. But here well, is no, Chandra. Chandra is Chandra, so yeah. iconically cool looking. Yeah. You know, with the fire hair and everything. I think Chandra, Jace. I'm just thinking about doing the fume effects for Chandra now. Chandra, Jace, and Lily about. to me are the are the sort of yeah the most iconic. iconic. Three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Liliana, heretical healer's story. Okay. So dun dun dun. Liliana is training to be a healer, and her brother is unfortunately like sick and dying. Bummer. So. She's trying to find the cure to her brother's disease, which is basically like, um, it's like, what is that? King, King's, what's the thing in, um, in Lord of the Rings that, that's like cures everything. Oh, uh, King's foil. King's uh, foil. Yes. King's foil. Am is I right? What cures. Th- I don't know. It seems to cure a lot of different stuff. I don't know. I just know that that um, they're looking for King's foil a couple of times. Anyway, so she's looking for this root weed thing, uh, but there's also a oh oh wait her world is also at war. Uh, there's also like a battle civil war thing going on, and the the glade where the weed grows has been like burned by the enemy soldiers or something. Mm-hmm. And so she is freaking out, and this mysterious figure shows up, and he tells her like you know how to you know how to uh, 
cure your brother? And she's like, no, I don't. And he's like, yes, you do. And she's like, no. And he's like, yes, no, yes, no. Yes, no, yes, no. And then no. turns out she's been dabbling in magic on the side. Yeah. Uh, Usually a bad idea to dabble in magic. Yeah. So so <laughs> he's like, you can, you can do it. And so she sort of like raises the weed root kingsfoil thing back yeah, to sort Kingsfoil, of by the way back to sort of life and then she mixes it with some magic and she makes this sort of weird potion and she goes back to the castle and the healer who's been training her is like what are you going to give him and she's like don't worry about it i've 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 solved it i've fixed it i've got the cure and the the healer lady's like no you don't do it do you dabbling in the dark arts don't no. do all this stuff i'm making up all this dialogue by the way and she's like get out of my <laughs> way old woman arts. get out of my way out of my way old woman she i'm saving my brother frail. and she just shoves the vial of the poison oh sorry spoiler alert she shoves the vial of what she thinks is the cure quote unquote but turns mm -hmm. out to be not into her brother's mouth and then he wakes up for a second and he's like what have you done and then he and he turns into a zombie so that's how the zombie movie starts yeah but the thing is in a weird way he's still like coherent he's like what have you done to me lily you've turned me into a zombie i'm gonna suffer for all eternity and she's like Oh no, no, I'll fix it. I promise I'll fix it. But he's not having it. He's like, I, what am I supposed to trust you now? Yeah. You big jerk. And he comes <laughs> I'm after her. freaking zombie. I'm a zombie. And so he just comes after her and she, you know, there's a big battle and she like uses some more magic and stuff and barely survives. And she runs away. And in the commotion of all the traumatic experience of raising her brother back to a zombie and fighting him off and making more zombies and all this crap happening, she, her spark ignites. And she becomes the planeswalker. Now, the story's yeah. a little bit different than Jace. She doesn't lose her memory, and she doesn't actually planeswalk at that moment to yeah. another place. And so then we sort of fast forward to Nicol Bolas's lair. Oh, my. And Liliana enters his lair, and she's, like, old and frail. So we're, like, hundreds of years in the future or something. And she talks about the mending, which is this event that basically left the planeswalkers with, like, a fraction of their power and Liliana is old and she can barely keep death at bay. So she's trying to figure out a way to extend her life. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like Hocus Pocus, right? Yeah. <laughs> Almost exactly. Um, so she makes a deal with the devil. I mean, with Nicol Bolas. And she sells <laughs> her soul. And then he takes her to a bunch of realms and she makes deals with all these demons. Four demons specifically. Yeah. So any kids listening out there, don't sell your soul and don't make deals with demons just don't do that it yeah. never ends well never ends well yeah also don't dabble in magic it doesn't actually begin very well either <laughs> so anyway so when she's done she's got her youth and her power back and her looks but at what cost at what cost indeed no. Well, we're going to find out due to her card text. Dun, okay. dun, dun, dun. So Liliana, heretical healer one black black for a legendary creature human cleric that is a 2-3 with lifelink it's a black creature with lifelink. Black is what? They're the second secondary lifelink. Yeah. She's actually maybe the best of the... Like a, Just, a three mana, two, cost. three lifelink is pretty good. I mean, yeah. Gideon's pretty good too. So anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gideon's pretty... I mean, did you mean uh, Kithian? Sorry, Kithian. <laughs> so uh, her, uh, her flip uh, cost is whenever another non-token creature you control dies, exile Liliana, heretical healer, then return to the battlefield transformed under her owner's control. If you do, put a 2-2 black zombie creature token onto the battlefield. Now, Who would that, that be? That would be her dead brother. I mean, undead brother, clearly. I'll never trust you, Liliana. What you do to me? What the heck? I am a zombie now. 
Okay, so, so yeah, so if any non-token creature dies, she comes back that you as control. a planeswalker that you control, and yep. then um, you then, get a zombie as well. So that's actually pretty good just by itself. The fact that you get the zombie is actually huge. Yeah, um, totally. So, so you get a two-two, and then you flip her over, and she becomes Liliana, Defiant Necromancer. She has three loyalty. Her plus two is each player discards a card. Very well, that good. Seems familiar. She does that on some of her other uh, mm-hmm. incarnations. Her negative X is return target non-legendary creature with converted mana cost X from your graveyard to the battlefield. That's good. So you can do it for minus three immediately, which is really, really good. Yep, just get something back. Um, It's non-legendary because they don't want you to just be able to get her back. Mm -hmm. So you can't go infinite with some weird thing where you're sacking her or flipping her, sacking her, flipping her. Yeah. Uh, So that's unfortunate, although good. and then her negative eight, her ultimate, is you get an emblem with whenever a creature dies, return it to the battlefield under your control at the beginning of the next end step. So wow, that's you just get too. any creature that dies for the rest of the game. She does plus two as well. There's a card that does it. Um, Grave Betrayal, I think, is very similar to mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like Liliana. Well, that each player discards a card is actually subtly more powerful than you think because mm-hmm. you're in black, and if you're playing, you know, a uh, deck that wants things in this graveyard then everybody else is losing a card but you're not because you're going to use the card in your graveyard yeah listen to our top 10 black cards episode we released it last thursday this uh, card actually really belongs in the deck we doctored yeah it should go in alesha for sure totally because you're you're it, it does very similar things creatures are ju- usually dying in that deck you can also you also want to bring cards back you can bring liliana heretical healer back Correct. You, you can discard. You want to discard cards with Alesha. Yeah. The, the Planeswalker makes you do it. Um, yeah. It, this card is very, very strong in Alesha. Yeah. I would also put this into my Marchesa deck. Yeah. Uh, because the emblem is essentially very powerful. It's kind of what you want uh, in the Marchesa deck if you ever get to the emblem. And the minus X is always relevant. Yep. Um, what do you think about building a deck around her as your commander, though? I think it's viable. Of all the. Uh, guys we've talked about so far i think she is the most viable because um she functions as a uh, just has value on her like the the fact that she puts a zombie on the battlefield and can recur stuff from the graveyard is something you're always going to want to do discarding a card is always important in these kind of decks too and the emblem is incredibly powerful yeah and she also her plus ability also scales well with multiplayer yeah so the only one that also scales well is nissa the rest are like way worse in multiplayer but Liliana is everybody discards a card. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if there's two players in the game or nine, you're getting equal value there. Everybody has to discard a card. So yeah, pretty good. Yeah, pretty great. Um Yeah, she's pretty she's pretty good. I think she could be she, Yeah, she speaks for herself in terms of how good she is. The other ones you kind of have to make arguments for. Her abilities are all really relevant and they're all useful. Like a, a couple of these like Jace's like up to one target gets minus two, minus zero, you're searching for a best case scenario that that works out. Each player discards a card is always going to be powerful because yep. you're going to build your deck in a way that you're always it's always a good deal for you. You're doing dark deals over here, guys. You're doing dark deals. It's a good deal. It's a good deal. Well, that, that right. good deal. does it. Yeah, so we're going to talk more about Origins cards in the future. There is a lot of cards in here that are actually really sweet for EDH specifically, which yeah, is really cool. Yeah, we'll do a full Magic Origins set review, mm-hmm. although we won't review the Planeswalkers again, you know, since we just did it's that. It's nice, too, because this is the big set, and it does take a lot of time to uh, to get through all of them, so this is going to ease, our, ease it a little bit that we could focus on the Planeswalkers in this episode. You know what I think we should do? What's that? I think we should play that cool Liliana animation again. (gasps) Go. 
Oh man, that so thing is dark. cool. The thing is cool. So dark, Liliana, you're so defiant. And so heretical. <laughs> and such a healer. Well, not so well, much not the healer so part. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it's time. It is time, guys. It's time for a spoiler. A really, really fun one. So um, first off, huge thanks to uh, to Wizards and Blake for uh, providing us with this really awesome card. Um, as Blake put it, I, he doesn't think there's a more EDH card in the set. So it does us great honor to be able to present that to you guys here. Yep. Um, um, if you've come over from Reddit or uh, any other place hearing about this spoiler card. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are the Command Zone Podcast. We are a an EDH commander-focused podcast. Uh, if you want to after the spoiler then feel free to start the episode over at the beginning and we have just covered all of the legendary creatures planeswalkers uh not all the legendary creatures just the planeswalkers <laughs> just we're gonna do the rest later so yeah. um we talk about how viable they are in edh as your commander or in the 99 so we go pretty in depth on that but if you're just jumping in for the spoiler just to let you guys know what the show is all about and we do videos for every episode and we also have podcasts on tuesdays and thursdays so oh yeah find us on youtube and you can see this card we're about to spoil very exciting okay i'll let you do the honors my friend all right it is called the great aurora six green 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 this thing costs nine mana it's a sorcery it's definitely an edh card <laughs> each player shuffles all cards from his or her hand and all permanents he or she owns into his or her library then draws that many cards each player may put any number of land cards from his or her hand onto the battlefield exile the great aurora Aurora, and by Aurora, we're talking about Aurora Borealis, right? Not, yes. Not Sleeping Beauty? Yes, we're looking up into the skies here. Although... It could be Sleeping Beauty looking up into the skies. Yes, it's true. She Actually, is... Sleeping Beauty wasn't in the forest, though, right? That I... was that was Snow White. Yes, that's correct. That is Snow White. Yeah, so, our, well, our <laughs> Disney law knowledge is impeccable. Anyway, let's go back over what the card does. You count all your permanents in play. You shuffle them into your library. Including your hand as well. Yep. So you... Oh, yeah, your hand and all permanents. So yeah. let's say you have six cards in your hand, 11, cards on, 11 lands out on the table, four creatures a couple artifacts a couple enchantments you might have like 23 mm-hmm. is your number you shuffle it all in draw 23 cards and immediately and then, play any number of land cards from your hand onto the battlefield hopefully you had a lot yeah so um, that you can replay stuff this card is absurd for one it's a crazy board wipe if you think about it yep it's a board wipe that kind of does it's a tuck wipe yeah it's a tuck wipe that resets the game yep um for, it doesn't reset the life totals but right it resets the board in a way that is really crazy because you might end up only drawing three lands out of your 23 cards and you just, just have a 20-card hand and then you have to discard at the end of your turn when you cast this. Um, also, if you're the type of deck that has like a bunch of mana rocks or things like that, then all of a sudden you got to spend a whole turn recasting your mana producers if you drew any. You know, I'd be glad to have that, though, as opposed to just having straight lands. I'd rather have mana rocks plus lands, so at least you can potentially get more out of your hand. Who knows? Well, yeah, but if you're a deck that's just heavy on land, then all of a sudden you play out all your land, and everybody right. else is taking their next turn to play their mana rocks, but you actually played stuff. Yeah. Uh, you might be able to get a window there where you get to just off somebody. I think this is just one of those cards that like hoses control-type decks because they don't tend to put a lot of permanents out. Mm-hmm. So if you can make this uncounterable somehow, like Boseju or something like that... Yep, good call. Then all of a sudden, like the Tauran decks of the world, uh, you know, that are just sitting there behind a wall of counter spells. Mm-hmm are just like they might only have like um six lands eight lands and talran and a couple of tokens and all of a sudden they're like "Uh oh i only got to draw 12 cards i only got to put five lands out yeah and they're just way behind 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, this card is really absurd if you think about it. Um, so you have to exile it, which means you cannot play it again or can't do any shenanigans yeah. with it. Yeah. I feel like with this card, you also want to have uh, utility lands or lands that are able to produce more than one mana. So like, because the fact that you're able to put them all into play, you're going to want your lands to do as much as possible when you draw them again. Mm -hmm. So you're going to want like Scorch Veils and stuff. Um, I think you would... You would want, if you're going to put this card in your deck, you would want to be heavier on land than average, too. So you wouldn't want this necessarily in a deck that has 35 lands. You might want closer to 40. Right. You know, if you're a low curve deck, you're not going to play this at all because you're just not going to be able to, like, regularly draw enough lands to make it worth it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this would be really good, in again, in that uh, in your mono green Titania deck. Yeah, it might be because you can... In no, it won't work. You can't, in response, sacrifice all your lands. I don't know, because, again, you're sacrificing your own lands, so you have just less permanence on the battlefield. You have some tokens, but those don't shuffle back into your deck, so I don't think you get to draw those. Uh, yeah. We haven't been able to show this to a judge, obviously, because <laughs> we can't show it to anybody. So I think the way it works, though, is that tokens will not draw you cards. It's only yeah. the cards that you actually shuffle back into your library. Yeah, so you can't you know, draw extra cards because you have, have a, a bunch of deck. tokens. Yeah. yeah. This card is still really powerful just because the effect is essentially game board resetting and you're going to want to find a deck that can build a deck that can really abuse it you know here's a deck uh, a deck with a low curve uh, quite a bit of lands but also a lot of like small things mm -hmm. so what you can do is you can try and like play out like a ton of like one and two drops and sort of go aggro on them and then when you draw this you all of a sudden get to draw a whole bunch of cards and then play them again really quick, whereas everybody else will take longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, any decks that are weighted towards the high end, even though they get to put all the lands in their hand into play, they may still only be able to cast two or three things. Yeah, exactly, because yeah. all their stuff costs a lot. And that means they have less permanence on the battlefield when you cast this, so they get to draw less cards, mm -hmm. which means that they just get less lands, and also they get to play less stuff, yeah. so it kind of snowballs on them. Yeah, and I think a lot of people will also be incentivized just to play their general again, potentially. Yeah. Uh, which will cost them a lot of mana as well. So, yeah, this card, the power level is definitely up there. For nine mana, it is, it's, it's, it matches the uh, power level, I'd say, if not even a little less than what the power level is because you're really, you're cleaning up the entire board. It does give everyone else a lot of cards as well, but if your deck is suited to really take advantage of having the lands out... Uh, or you just have a lower curve, then you're going to benefit from this a lot more than someone else will. And if you could do it like pre-combat and you have like anger in your graveyard, because it doesn't touch your graveyard, mm -hmm. then you could, you're basically resetting everybody else. You're going to get rid of all their creatures. They're going to have lands, but you have a good chance of playing a bunch of stuff. And if you, your stuff can have haste because of anger, then you can maybe, you know, open up the doorway for you to be able to kill somebody that you might not be able to. Yeah, there's also great. I mean, you could you could play hand disruption with this. Play great Aurora. Play all those lands out, and then tap and do some kind of hand disruption shenanigans. Oh, make that's everyone discard brutal! If you had like a discard, hands. everybody discards yeah. their hand. I mean, they can all put their lands in the play, but you're just gonna wipe the rest of their hands. So that's let's say they they draw their Gilded Lotuses. They're like, oh, I'll be fine. I'll be able to play this next turn. Be like, nope, sorry, it's all going to the graveyard. That's uh, I like that. I mean, I don't like that, but I like that. Yeah, because you get to order it. You know, you play the sorcery, you play all your lands out, you play as much of your hand out, and then you cast the one spell that makes them yeah. discard their hand. I mean, the only thing is, if there is somebody with a counter spell, they're gonna have mana up and be able to counter it at that moment. But you know, it's true. Yeah, but again, just hope you draw Bosage again. <laughs> That's true. If you draw it again, then you could just do it again. Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, or you just draw Expedition Map or something like that. <laughs> Uh, okay, so 
that is a pretty powerful card um and super excited to get the spoiler thanks again blake yeah super appreciate it um i look forward to finding a way to incorporate this into a deck uh green has a lot of these effects and they actually printed another one in the commander sets recently that's sort of like is a destroy everything. But mm-hmm. this is interesting because it gives everyone the chance to rebuild, but very randomly. So you could still see a lot of the same creatures and stuff coming back into play because they might just draw them again. But otherwise, this, I mean, you're going to see more of your deck than you usually ever will in an EDH game when you play this card. It's a very good point, actually, that I didn't think about. Um, green just doesn't have a lot of board wipes. So this yeah. is a type of board wipe for green. And it's just an effect if you're in a mono green deck, especially... I might put it in Titania or something because you just, in Titania, what do you have that's a board wipe? It's Navinural's Disc, mm-hmm. you know, O-Stone, which is a million dollars right now, uh, Perilous Vault. You just don't have a lot of options to do this type of thing. So it might be worth putting it in there just as as a reset button because games just don't go the way you want them to. A lot of times you don't get out to an early lead and there's no way to come back except for an effect like this. Yeah, yeah. It is truly the great Aurora. Um, if you want to see it, it will be in the show notes. Also, you can check out our YouTube video. And if you're watching the YouTube video, then you're probably looking at the card right now. That's right. And you guys can add to the discussion. You can comment about it uh, at YouTube. You can comment about it on Rocket Jump. We're also going to, of course, have a Reddit thread, so you can comment about it there. So just comment everywhere about it. Let's talk about it. Yeah, we want to hear the cool interactions you've come up with. Yes. So definitely, uh, definitely. Please do. Very exciting, though. And uh, I look forward to playing with this, at least in one deck. All right. Time for the end step. The end step. So the end step for those of you that are watching the show for the first time is something where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. Uh, do you want me to go? Go ahead. All right. So recently, um, multiple people have mentioned this show to me, and it's amazing because I didn't, I haven't really thought about the show or watched it in a long time. But it's the show that uh, was one of my favorite animes growing up. It's called Cowboy Bebop, and just all of a sudden, it seems like four or five people around me are all watching it at the same time or rewatching it or whatever. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever are fans of anime, but Cowboy Bebop is it's kind of like a Japanese space western. Um, the main character is kind of modeled after Bruce Lee's sort of this. They're all, I mean, the characters are great. Uh, there's a very famous corgi in the show called Ein, um, and it is it's just a really good show with a really beautiful animation. And the director of it has done a couple of other really prominent shows. His name is Shinichiro Watanabe, and he has done a bunch of really awesome animes in the past. But Cowboy Bebop is one of my favorites. Um, he also did Samurai Champloo and stuff. And um, he also did a part of, um, he did my favorite, uh, I don't know if you guys ever saw the Animatrix, which was like animated Matrix stories before the uh, the movie, the second and third movies came better out. Better than the second and third movies. Yeah, he did one called Kid Story that was really good. Oh, and I know that one. Yeah, yeah. So they're all, I mean, the guy's great. The animation style is beautiful. And I just noticed so many people talking about it recently that I was like, you know what, this will be my end step. Because if you haven't seen the show, it's really great. Um, it's one of the OG anime shows that I think most everyone will talk about when they talk about favorite animes or just animes that are so good that they're that it'll appeal to anyone that doesn't even like the sort of style very cool i have not seen it so i will check it out yeah it's great okay make sure to check out our sister podcast the masters of modern alex and ben talk about all things modern and competitive magic you can follow them uh on twitter at the mm cast our editor is Eli Cuevas, and special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for the living card animations, especially that Liliana animation. So cool. That we keep playing. Uh, you can find him at Living Cards MTG. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will see you next time. Peace. Thank you for your attention. 
For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.